apparently, I, I went back and I listened to uh, Sunday night. Apparently, the microphone does not like it whenever I yell. What do you want to do? Oh, it, it, it just completely blew it out. Like, like you couldn't hear it. Like, it got all distorted. You and couldn't hear me talking. Really? Yeah. Good evening. Welcome to Bible class. Amen. Glad y'all are here tonight. Uh, we are studying what? Dispensations, aren't we? Everybody still have their chart, right? The overlapping of dispensations. Y'all didn't get one? Uh-oh. Wouldn't you know? Okay. We got the study guide. Is it the last page of the study Okay. Okay, well then I do have You it. do have it. Okay. All right. I think say John, I knew you 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 stapled it to it, didn't you? Probably or something. Okay. So what is the first dispensation, Brother Dan? The first dispensation is innocence. Innocence. And Lisa, what's number two? Conscience. Conscience. Colin, what's next? Law. Human government. <laughs> We're getting to law, yeah. And then number four, Jen, is what? Abraham, and remember studying that last? Promise. Yeah, there we go. And so tonight, yeah, Moses and the law. Tonight we're getting into dispensation number five, and that is law. Oh, did you? Okay. All right, so... uh here we are. We're we're in a different classroom tonight, and it's not quite as as uh, what's the word here? Quite as good as where we're usually at. But uh, we're going to make do. So on the bottom of page forty-one, the dispensation of law. What do you think this dispensation is about? <laughs> law. Yeah, God is now going to start. You know, he, he he tried the innocence. He tried the conscience. He's tried, you know, the promise and human government. And now it's like. I'm going to make this easy. I'm going to give them laws so that they can dictate. They'll know, they'll know when to do, what to do, how to do. So he does laws and statutes and judgments. So let's dive in here a, a little bit. Uh, extends from when? From the Exodus? From Egypt. you all remember that? Moses, the deliverer, uh, to the crucifixion of Christ. And then we're going to get into dispensation of grace here, hopefully a little bit later tonight. John 1.17 says, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. When Israel cried to God in their bondage, he gave them a deliverer, Moses. And he also became their leader and the one that, of course, uh, led them out of Egyptian bondage. Uh, he decided that he would have a commonwealth or organize a commonwealth based on laws which he would give and execute by men of his own choice with a visible system of worship and place for his glory to be manifested. Now, early on, Moses was trying to take care of everything, wasn't he? Remember that? And then he had to appoint, wasn't it 70? I think it was 70 elders that would look to a lot of these other little judgments and things. You know, this one is arguing with that one about the cow and the calf or whatever. And so instead of Moses having to sit there all day long listening to the stuff going on, he used these 70 men, which took a great load off of Moses. So you've heard me preach before upon Mount Sinai, 
the glory of God came down, did it not? The smoke and the fire and the lightnings. And God lays out, you know, these Ten Commandments, all these statutes and judgments. And we're going to look at those here at the bottom of page uh, 42 here in just a second. But, you know, all the people are there just in awe, you know, of, of God and His power and His glory and, and God's saying this is how you handle this situation this is what you do here this is how you make a sin offering and a wave offering and you know a civil law so uh, let's look here at the bottom of page there's actually three different divisions sometimes we think of just the the ten commandments but you know there was more than that there was the uh, uh, number one the ten commandments which express the holy will of God and comprehend all else then there's the judgments, which interpret the relations of man with his fellow. Anybody ever read some of these? I know it's boring, but it's in ex- Yeah, read some of the, the, the judgments and some of the statutes over there in Exodus. I've got my Bible turned here. You know, the, of course, we know the Ten Commandments are found where? Exodus 20. You're right. Exactly. Exodus 20. But, yeah, they're scattered uh, from there on, too. Uh, but here's some, you know, here's some of the crazy things, uh, injuries to servants, assault and battery, penalty for carelessness, uh, penalty for loss through spite work, penalty for loss in trust, penalty for loss of borrowed property. There was even something for that. Uh, six, and, then, and then there are 16 civil laws concerning persons, you know, penalty for rape, death for witchcraft, death for idolatry, penalty for oppression. All of these are recorded there, chapter after chapter, and then, of course, how to, how to worship God. And that's going to be the last one is the ordinances, which made provision, number three, for the religious life and for their worship. So God, he laid out everything, didn't he? Pretty much, and said, surely they'll grab hold of this. Surely this will work, you know, just uh, see Article 4, Section 3, you know, on your, on your judgments and statutes, and you'll know what to do in this situation. But did man do it? No. Did they say they would? Three times there on that mountain. They said, oh, yes, here, oh, yes, God, we will. You know, you're having this display of power. I guess you'll say anything, right? But in no time, what happens? The golden calf by Exodus 32. That's what, 12 chapters. And actually, it's not that long a period. I mean, that's just, you go through these chapters here, that's just still going on with the sin offering and the peace offering and the, all of the stuff laying out there. Well, that was all during the 40 days that he was up there getting it all. Yeah. Oh, where is Moses? We don't know if Moses is going to return. Yeah. This Mo guy, he's out, you know. Right. Oh, here, who led us out of, who led us out of Egypt? How about we, Aaron? What do we do? Yeah. Oh, come on, bring me all your gold. Yeah. Ready to elect another leader and, you know. Yeah. They're on an 11-day journey, you know. They should have just went in there and, and whipped the snot out of all the Canaanites and owned the land from the beginning. But no. Mm. no Rebellion. Land. Yeah. Well, because Disobedience. You can, take, you can take the Jews out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of the Jews. That's what the 40, 40 years was for. Yeah. True. That's because the Joshua generation was the strength and, and the courage that came with watching all of their elders die. Yeah, yeah. The lessons we learn, right? The lessons we learn. So by chapter 32, you know, God wrote 
the first Ten Commandments, right? With the, it says it twice, not once, maybe three. I know it says it at least twice. With his what? Finger. The finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. And so Moses comes down and finds all this shenanigans going on. What does he do? He throws them, doesn't he? Yes. And it's kind of funny. You know, God, he says, you broke the first set. You're going to have to write, <laughs> write the next set. So Moses had to, had to chisel out, you know, on rock the, the second set of, of Ten Commandments. But like he just said, uh, you know, they come down and, and Moses, uh, you know, challenges them. What are you doing? What are you doing here? You know, you you all agreed to these these principles and all of these statutes and commandments and uh, well, I don't know. You know, we just threw this gold in this fire and you know all of a sudden out popped this golden calf. You know, type type thing and just uh, you know passing the yeah passing the book and already by then God had already told Moses I'm going to annihilate these people because you know what they're doing down there. Yeah, yeah. And Moses says, Oh no, you're not. Yeah. Yeah, Moses became the intercessor, didn't he? God was ready to... Just like Abraham was the intercessor. Yep, a pattern there, yep. He began to plead for the cause, for their cause, so yeah, definitely. uh, So he goes back and... He goes up and down the mountain, I think, six or seven times Moses does, back and and forth. But can you see the, the law, even within hours or days especially, is not what? Working. Is not working. And yet, you know, a lot of people that get into the law, we find even in Jesus' time, the law was still the dispensation they were living in. You know, here uh, thousands of years later, you know, from Moses, plumb on up, you know, through the 400 years of the Maccabees and all of that and all the the Assyrian uh, takeover, the Roman uh, uh, takeover, the Babylonian Empire, all of this, you know, rebellion through all the judges, once again... Yeah, and all of that. It's still, the law was still in play when Jesus comes, but he came to what? Do away with it, didn't it? And to fulfill it, yeah. So, uh, at the bottom of 42, we kind of finished that up. 43, after the people had given three times their unconditional promise of obedience, the covenant was sealed by the sprinkling of blood. Is blood important? It's symbolical of something, didn't it? Did Jesus sprinkle some blood on the ground? Which signified that their lives were forfeited if they did not obey. The history of Israel in the wilderness, in the promised land under the kings, the ministry of the prophets. We, you know, we're not going to stop and spend a lot of time on some of this. But in the period of restoration, it's one long record of what? Failure and rebellion. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And it culminated in the supreme sin of the crucifixion of the heir. Jesus said, you know, I've done everything I can for these people. Maybe if I let my only son lay down his life for them, then they'll get this and they'll start living for me. But our people today, no, no. So... So, even while, he, and we talked about this, even while he was up on the mountain, Israel was dancing lewdly. Uh, they, later on, as they began the journey, they became dissatisfied with the manna here. God's feeding them every day. Their shoes are not wearing out. Their clothes are, uh, yeah, they murmured uh, and lusted for flesh. Numbers chapter 11, you can read that. Uh, their unbelief, they refused to enter Canaan. Remember that story? You know, the 12 
spies sent in in Numbers 11, and only two out of ten had any faith. <laughs> is that about the number it is today? Probably. Two percent. Yeah, even less. Anyway, so we go on. Uh, after Israel at the bottom of 43 had conquered a large portion of the land, just before their leader Joshua died, they gave their solemn promise that they would obey the law. Joshua 24, 14. You know, that's in the section where uh, Moses says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Yeah, yeah. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Oh, yes, we're in on that deal. But no, once again, they did not. So then we go into the book of Judges. They... Uh, God used judges. How, anybody for this is for a hundred bonus points. I told John today, so he can't compete. But how many judges were there? How many? Where's the hundred points at? Yeah, here we go. And I have, I have. There you go. Makes sense. And here they are for your looking pleasure. Just take one and. Pass it back. You know what? I actually, I need one of those myself. Did I make enough? There's only six. I've, I've got them written down here. Or, or can y'all share one? Can you and John share one? Okay, then I'll have one. There we go. And some of these you're not going to recognize. Probably only four or five of them out of the 12. But Othniel was the first one. Uh, I'm not going to really talk about what all they did. Some of them there's even no... No history on them, or it's unrecorded. But Othniel, anybody remember that one? I don't remember Ehud. I've, I've heard of Othniel, Ehud. I don't really remember. Uh, looks like he was just in there for about 18 verses. <laughs> Shamgar, not much about him, just one verse. Deborah, remember that, the woman? You ladies should remember that there was a woman judge. Uh, Gideon, we all remember Gideon, don't we? Tola, uh, Jer. He had 30 sons. Are you with me? Okay. Yeah, it does, does. They didn't count, I guess, back then, right? Something, yeah. Jephthah, now I remember that. There's some, you know, quite a bit of, let's see how many. Yeah, he's in there for a couple chapters. Ibzan, don't remember much about him. Two verses, three. I thought this was fun. Elon, who's in the news now? <laughs> Elon Musk, did you know he had a Bible name? <laughs> You learned something tonight. It was that's worth combing your hair and coming to church for tonight. Okay, Elon, uh, Abdon. He had forty sons and thirty grandsons, each of whom had his own donkey. Woo! I tell you. Yeah, there you go. And then, of course, we remember Samson, don't we? So, uh, so that's that's something you can keep in your book or something. Uh, now I can. John, I don't, I'll give you that back cause right. now. Oh, is there? Oh, okay. All right. Let me put that in my file, too. Then. Okay. All right. Uh, I thought that would be interesting for you just to briefly know that there were 12 judges and a little, little bit about them. And then Samuel was the next guy on the scene, wasn't he, the prophet? Did you realize he was also a judge? He's a judge and a prophet. Judge and a prophet, so... He comes on the scene next, there on the middle of page 44. After Samuel's successful judgeship, his sons were unfit for leadership. Samuel was a good man, wasn't he? Yes. He was used by God. 
during a critical time in the nation of Israel. So, uh, uh, of course, you know, God really didn't want them to have kings, but he allowed them to, didn't he? So he allowed Samuel to go and anoint Saul. And actually, isn't it amazing? I talked about Saul Sunday in my in my sermon uh, a, a little bit there. How that you know he was the the nice looking guy, the stature, the appearance, the everything, and had everything going for him. But what did he do? He starts slowly drifting away from God and allowing this and tolerating that. And and before long, he's jealous of David, wanting to kill him. He's just on and on, eventually consulting with, with witches, and uh, eventually God, of course, took away his kingship. Then we jump to David, uh, the man after God's own heart. Was David perfect? No. <laughs> no. Is anyone perfect? Do we need restoration, don't we? You know, that's the thing that I... After 50 years of ministry, it's still... You know, I was raised in a in a denomination that didn't give you much slack if you failed. Yeah. You know, it was pretty pretty tough times for you. It was like if you've ever gone through a divorce, strike three, you're out. You know, type thing. If you've ever done this or that, well, you can do this and that, and you, but you got to go through this program. You got to do. And, and I believe in restoration. I believe in you know getting some help if it's something that is. Uh, that you need help with, you know, consulting with mentors, consulting with older men. The younger men, you know, uh, submit to the older men. I mean, you you can learn a lot from an old man. (laughs) And uh, so, anyway, it's not that that, but but I'm glad for God's grace. You know, you may have fallen uh, 25 times, but keep getting back up. Amen? Keep getting back back up. So, Saul... uh, he failed to obey God. David comes on the scene, and we know what happened to him eventually. He sees a beautiful woman and uh, overtaken a bath and then, you know, has her husband brought in and eventually murdered. So even David, the man after God's own heart, messed up. And, boy, the thing in this book, I think you're going to find out through every, through every age, through every dispensation, you've heard me say it probably five times, you get man involved in it, it's going to get wacko, isn't it? It's going to get messed up. Every generation, you know, I sometimes think, boy, I would have loved to have lived back during the, the blah, blah, blah dispensation. And I think, no, things weren't any different then. They, they were as far as jail. It was an air conditioning or electricity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there wasn't 500 horsepower under the hood either, you know. So. I, 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 yeah, I'm going to stick with this one, right? Yeah, exactly. How many like the dispensation you're in? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, we go over on page 45 into the Assyrian captivity. Uh, just kind of hitting the highlights here. With the except, there were some there were some godly kings. Yes. In the midst of that, how many's read some of the some of? The, and I didn't do the. I probably should have done a chart on all the kings. Too, you know, because even you know that when they were together, and then the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, I'll try to maybe find that and bring y'all a, a chart of of that as well. But there were, I, I remember doing a sermon not too long ago, I think, and telling you out of all the was it twenty? I'm just pulling this from the top of my head. Twenty something kings. Was it only four or six that were godly? It's been a couple months ago when I preached on that, and I and I 
Asa? Solomon started out with this Yeah. Joash, Hezekiah, Josiah. Okay, yeah, here it is right here, the book list. Joash, Hezekiah, Josiah, the kings of Judah, and then in the southern, uh, were they were more wicked and idolatrous until finally Judah became even worse than Israel, and the Lord had to remove them into Babylonian uh, captivity or bondage. So, again, it's uh, we're, we're seeing the pattern here, aren't we? Uh, then Ezekiel comes on the scene, and, and we go into the major prophets. We're just kind of going through the Old Testament here fast tonight. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then, can anybody name all the minor prophets? Hosea. Starts with Hosea. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. That's the last one. Hezekiah. Uh, oh, man. Jonah, yeah, we're getting close. Anyway, they're they're just little short books in the in back of your Bible of the Old Testament. If you want to, yeah, you've you've taught some you taught on them, didn't you? You went through all twelve of them. Set up their idols in their heart. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a American idol. Yeah, and you know, you and I were talking there after church that yourself can be an idol. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. I am enough. No, I'm not. Yeah. So. We, 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 we get to Malachi, the last prophetic, prophetic voice whom God sent to them. He's trying all these different ones, the major prophets, the weeping prophet Jeremiah. He weeped and cried out and, you know, telling it like it is. Repent, return to God, get back to God. And, uh, and then we finally get to Mal- Malachi. It rings out in stern denunciation of their apostasy. It indicts them for offering polluted bread blind, lame, and sick animals on God's altar. And, and that really struck me today. Are people doing the same thing today? Where is God on your priority list? You know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We give him our tidbits and our leftovers, don't we? When he, when he wants to be number one. When, when the ball field behind here is, is, has more cars on Wednesday night than we have here, there's something wrong with that, with that picture in my mind. You know, it's uh, where are our priorities? And you know, I saw something on Facebook recently re- regarding ball playing. You know, a lot of people just think, "Oh my, my kid's going to grow up and he's going to be an NFL star, an NBA star." You know, it's it's point oh oh three. Yeah, so that is three thousandths of one percent that your child is going to grow up. And and be an NBA. Uh, it's a st- in any, any sport. Yeah. It's a hundred percent certain that your child's going to grow up and die and be judged. That that that's what it was. You saw it too. No, on fa- no, I'm no. Just saying. Yeah, that was I, what it I said. That's what it said on Facebook. <laughs> your chance. You 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 tagged it. It says your chances of your child being a professional ball player. Point oh oh three. Your chances of your child facing God. 
is 100% one of these days. Where are your... Yeah. And again, I don't want to nitpick on that. It's so many other things, you know. It's so many other other things that people, you know, prioritize. So, uh, okay, we're about to wrap this up. There are evidences of God's mercy and love even under the law. For instance, in the promise of the new covenant, and this is where he says, I'm going to put my laws in your heart. You'll no longer be about laws and because they had, you know, when man gets a hold of anything, they had kept adding to it, hadn't they? Till there were 600 and, yeah, what, 70, John? 670, something like that, laws and statues. and. I thought it was 672, but we've added a few more since you last, no. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, somebody can, somebody can check that out. But, yeah, it, it, they just kept adding more. And more and more bondage. You know, to me, the law is nothing but bondage. Where, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. So he said, I'm going to, you're not going to need a manual. You know, who could carry around a 670-page? <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, I broke that one. Today. Ooh, ooh, it's 10 o'clock. I've already got five of them down, you know. And, man. Can you imagine walking around with all the laws that we have? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, considering that the, the, the uh, uh, our stack of regulations just in the United States for the FDA is taller than a man, wider than a man, and thicker than a man. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Even right now at our Oklahoma State, you know, at our Oklahoma State Capitol, you know, they've been in session since the end of January, and all of these senators from all over the state have submitted, all, you know, that's part of, you know, being a senator, I gotta, I gotta get a law written for that, and and you present it, and it goes through this committee, it goes through that committee, and out of those, say twelve hundred that are suggested, how many ever even make it to the, how many ever make it to the main floor to even be voted on? You know, but man just keeps, yeah, keeps adding more and more. The law will not work, will it? So. It's statutes and judgments, too, so did you just write? I just put laws. So 613 laws were derived from the original team. 613, okay. That is so many. That's still a bunch. Everybody? They extrapolated 10 out to 613. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were 10, and then there were 16 civil laws, and then not that many of the other ones, but, yeah, they just kept... Uh, in, in the three categories, you know, the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, there weren't but about probably 50 all total. And, you know, here's what man can can do to it. Malachi, he says, was the last prophetic message sent to Israel. Well, let's back up one second there on 46. In every period, and you've heard me say this, of Israel's history, there was a faithful remnant who were loyal to God's law and were not drawn away into the idolatry of the surrounding nations. As Terry would say, and Jeff, the 2%, right? The 2 percenters. Witness the 7,000 of Elijah's day who did not bow the knee to Baal. The remnant of Isaiah's day to whom he frequently refers. The remnant to which Ezekiel refers in his vision of Ezekiel 9, who sighed and cried over the abominations of their idolatrous neighbors. Mathathias, the priest, and his seven sons who fought against the Syrians in the reign of Antioch 
Antiochus Epiphanes or whatever Epiphanes, and restored the worship of Jehovah, which had been prostituted by the Greek Antichrist. To all of these, God showed His mercy and loving kindness. Then it talks here a little bit about I mentioned it earlier about the Persian uh, captivity, Syrian, Roman, uh, on and on. Uh, Israel would do good for a while; they'd get a godly king. They'd tear down some of the altars, turn back to God, but then, lo and behold, here comes an evil king, and they'd go right back, and God would bring judgment. So, on page 47, we'll close out this chapter. God's judgment fell upon the nation in the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman armies. This is under Titus, AD 70. This is what's going on when Jesus actually come on the, on the scene. History records that over a million Jews perished at this time the nation was scattered among the kingdoms of the earth in fulfillment of the warning given through Moses there in Deuteronomy 28. Paul in Romans 8, 3 and 4 appropriately explains the relation between the dispensation of law and that of grace. Here it is. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the what? The flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit did y'all realize that was in my text sunday romans i didn't get three but i had romans eight four and five so we're through with the law are there any questions on on it no we're just getting to the good part yes grace Grace. everybody's loving grace jeff Whoop. I just think it's ironic that a good king would rule, and then his worthless sons would take over, and it just went to garbage. Yeah. And it's the same today in a business. Yeah. Have you ever worked for somebody, and then their son or daughter takes it over? Woof, right in the dumpster. I mean, yeah. the place will be out of business. They'll spend the money and yeah. the whole deal. Right. I was watching <clears throat> Terry Peel again. He talked about. The government and the people killed Jesus. They're just wanting everybody more. They're trying. Yeah. It's already. Yeah. They, they, yep. They're killing him. They're bringing him back. Right. This time. Yeah. So, uh, can you run out there and see if they're through, Colin, and see how this, see if this recording is still doing okay, and then just kind of let them know that we'll lock everything, let uh, Karen know we'll lock everything up. All right. Sorry about that. If you're listening to this 10 years later, uh, we have <laughs> several things going on here at the church tonight. Okay, so let's jump into page 49, the present age. Yay. The church. Hallelujah. I even actually wrote here in my Bible, yay, or not in the, my Bible, but my book. So now we're, uh, we're we're heading into the dispensation of grace. How long have we been in it so far? Two thousand plus years. Yeah, and here, almost two thousand years. Yeah, yeah, thirty. Yeah, it'd be about two thousand thirty-three. Eleven years will be two thousand. Yeah. Yeah, almost. When Christ died, about around 33, 34 A.D., huh? So, yeah. Yeah, we're close. We're knocking on the knocking on the door for sure. So it starts uh, from Calvary to the second advent of Christ. And he says here, even this, and this was, book, <laughs> was written in the 
50s, like we said, 2,000 years of this period have elapsed. God's dealing in grace with mankind was made possible by the death of Jesus, which provided, and I love this, the new and living way of access to the throne of grace. I can go into God's presence any time. I don't have to have an appointment with the priest. Ooh. Exactly. They're all, sh- if you're listening later, they're all shouting. They're dancing around out here right oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am glad for grace, aren't you? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So we have access under the new covenant. It's a new covenant that we have. Oh, wow. Oh, that's for the good deal, for the utilities and stuff. Awesome. Uh, yes. Uh, because man had failed under every test, here it is again, in the previous dispensations and was utterly unable to meet the divine requirements, becoming what? Worse. All the time, God sent His only begotten Son. That's the gospel we preach, isn't it? John 3.16 is basically the Bible in a nutshell, isn't it? God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal, everlasting. May that never, I mean, that's, that's something you can preach anytime, anywhere, right? That's, that's, that's the there's nothing more. You know, Billy Graham spent his whole life preaching that message right there. God loves you. Yeah. He died for you. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Why, why uh, muddle it up with man's opinion, right? Why not just preach the cross and the resurrection? Hallelujah. So, he gives his only son to become a man. He was fully God and he was fully man, as we learned in one of our prior studies. He perfectly fulfilled the law in every point, died as a sin offering, Lamb slain from the foundation of the world and paid in himself the penalty for our sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. I deserve to die. You deserve to die. But God, in his rich love and mercy, said, I'll I'll take his place. I'll send my son to die for him. So thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. He rose again triumphantly, bore our glorified humanity back to the throne of grace where he is now... What's he doing? Interceding for you and me. I believe in Dan. I believe in John. They messed up today, but they're they're coming back stronger tomorrow. Hallelujah. He's all we need. 1 Corinthians 1.30 on the top of page 50. God was in Christ reconciling. Anybody remember what that word means? There you go. Restore, right? Yeah. Reconciling, restoring. It's like, anybody ever reconciled your checkbook? Is that still a term? So you understand reconciliation, don't you? Yes. All right. I didn't know if that was an old, when we were, maybe, was it a class in high school of learning how to reconcile your, I think it is again. Is it? Wow. So that's, so, God was in Christ reconciling 
or bringing back the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Thank you, Jesus. Christ's work was a once-for-all work. There remains no more sacrifice for sin. One time. Woo! Hallelujah. I don't have to drag the pigeon and the dove and the bullock and the hallelujah. <laughs> Patrick would not like that. John. Has anybody seen the documentary where they think they found the actual Mount Sinai? Has anybody seen that? How old is that? No, actual Mount Sinai. Is that pretty recent? And, 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 down, and then they found the split rock. And then, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then they found what looks like the pins where all the animals and stuff were held out for sacrifice Ooh. and how deep it was. And then if you imagine how much blood was standing in that, it's unimaginable. Yeah, it was just a constant slaughter of blood to fulfill, the, well, not fulfill, but to cover their sins. Temporarily. 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 A temporary cover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was amazing to see years all Years and years and years, like you said, of slaughter and blood as a covering. Now, was it that it lasted? This is probably a rabbit trail, sorry, but like, was it that it lasted a year, or you just had a year before you could come do it again? Because what if you went home? It was an annual visit by the, the high priest of the Holy of Holies. Mm-hmm. But there was, but there was, there was, but there was. There were still daily sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, there was the annual sin offering. Right. There was the, yeah. The gift the, offerings. Whole, the nation, the, the people, the whole. Yeah. Yeah. Where the sin was being transferred. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The priest laid his hands on the goat. Now take the goat out. I don't know where he wants to go. Make an erratic man lead him. Yeah. There you go. So. Is it complete? Did Christ do everything? Yes. Everything has been... It is finished. Com- he said it, didn't he? That's right. Hang in there that day. It is finished. And gave up the ghost. And Amen. hallelujah. So we don't have to put Jesus back on the cross, do we? It's already been done. He's on the right hand of the Father, pleading our cause and our case every day. So... While this salvation is available for all, and there's three scriptures there, yet its benefits are received only, I circled that, by those who believe in Jesus Christ and apprehend, I like that, apprehend Him as their personal Savior. Hallelujah. This is the test during this present dispensation. Are you going to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and do your best to live for Him. Yeah. I like it. Hallelujah. It's only a test, isn't it? Some days we do good. We make an A. Some days we make an F on the test. What would you say, Jen? And we fell miserably. Yes, we fell miserable, but, you know, I love it that, was it Isaiah that said, His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So I can get up the next morning and say, God, I'm sorry. I I bungled it yesterday with this situation, but help me today. 
Help me today, Lord. Yes. There you go. 70. John, step up here for a second. I'm going to have you uh, start right here. I'm going to go out there and tell them bye. Just, okay. If you need to just even read that right there about Ecclesia and kind of the meaning of that. So God's purpose now, not the conversion of the whole world, although he willeth not the death of the wicked, nor that any should perish, but the calling out of the world a people for his name. Ecclesia. Is that true? Yes. Will forever be true, right? He doesn't wish any man to perish. Something that we, even as, as believers, a lot of times tend to do is to judge someone too fast or to think that they've done too much that they can't be saved forget forget what we have a job forget sometimes where we came from yeah mm. yes we should never forget right if every person could be saved I, it would it would be that way and how nice it would be to see that but we still keep as Lisa said doing our jobs. Uh, Ecclesia is the Greek word for church, which means literally, anybody? There you go. Though the proclamation of the gospel, which is, amen, God is accomplishing his purpose of calling out for eligibility to a place in his coming kingdom. What a day that will be. Those who will respond, have we responded? Yes. yes. Acts fifteen, fourteen through 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for every one that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, Gentile, us. Romans one sixteen. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching or the apparent foolishness of the thing preached to save them that believe. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. Uh, anybody can read Acts 15, 14 through 18. Oh, yes. All right. Thank you, Brother John. Yeah, in our book it only had Acts 15, but I was reading that today, and it's talking about how that it's not only for the the Jew and the Gentile. I'll grab it here. Somebody already got it? Okay, Lisa, go ahead. Oh, he who 
All right. I know in the King James, that last verse, it says, Known, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Is that powerful? Amen. And, he, and, and in, the, in the King James, it says in verse 17 that the residue, I thought that's a, I don't know if you find that word in the Bible very often, but he said that the residue of men might, might seek after the Lord. If you look at that residue, it's referring to the remnant of Israel and the Gentiles that, you know, God had, in Acts chapter 10, you know, here he's writing in Acts chapter 15, but we know what happened in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, right, and his household. So, yes. So, top, yeah, top of page 51, it goes on a little more about ecclesia. We know what that is. I know we've studied it in one of our other books, uh, church, uh, from the preposition ek, out of, out of the midst of, you know, we know, really the word ecclesia to me means called out ones. We've come, we've come out of the world and we've come into Christ, haven't we? So through the proclamation of the gospel or the good news, God has taken out from both Jews and Gentiles, those who shall be eligible for a place in his kingdom. Think about that. I want a place, don't you? Hallelujah. That's right. After this, he will consummate his plan for the nation of Israel. And that's again there in Acts 15. We won't, That's the verses uh, leading up to that. So the word ecclesia is used by the Greeks. It talks about uh, the word, uh, what is that? Where is that? That's farther down. Citizenship. Yeah, in Philippians 3.20. 21, it uses the word conversation. If you read uh, Philippians, somebody grab that. In fact, let's go ahead and read read that. It talks about the conversation, which really means uh, 3, 20, 21. It's a Greek word, politema, politema. Okay. Ooh, there it is. Transform us. Uh, conversation. I think it uses it in verse twenty. Okay. Okay. So, uh, citizenship is a better word there, uh, for sure. But again, all right. It's a. a you, unique relationship that Christ has for his church. Amen. Now we go into the parables of Matthew 13. And if you were here on Wednesday nights, just before I started my, I think we're eight weeks in now into the class on Battlefield of the Mind, but Terry did an exhaustive study on Matthew 13 of the five parables. And in, in, uh, I guess there's actually seven in there altogether. John, I can't remember. Is it five or seven? I've slept since then, but I know there's five, and I'm thinking there may even be more like seven. We're going to look at some of those tonight and just hit them, hit them briefly and show that how that, you know, the wheat grows with the tares, but one of these days, the weeds or the tares are going to be separated, aren't they? And the goal is for us to be what? Wheat. <laughs> That's the goal. may need to put that on our refrigerator. I am wheat. Hallelujah. So in the first one, of course, we know that we're familiar with the parable of the sower. Sower went forth to sow, 
And as he sowed, what happened? The soil fell on seven. Okay, I thought that was right. Uh, the soil fell on different kind of ground. And some, you know, fell by the wayside. Some the birds came and got it. And some it was on thorny ground. But the fourth one, what happened? Fell on good ground, which is a, a parable showing, you know, Jesus was so masterful at using stuff that people, you know, could relate to. If he was a, talking to farmers, he would talk about sowing and, and all kinds of different uh, analogies there. So in the first instance, the word is not understood. Satan easily snatches it away before it has time to germinate. In the second instance, the word, see, germinated, but since it had no depth of soil, it was rooted up. Does the devil want to do that? By the fierce winds of persecution or scorched by the sun. You know, the sun will test the roots, won't it? And then in the third instance, the thorns, uh, the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, they choked out the word. So Paul sorrowfully writes of an example of this. Demas has forsaken me, having loved what? This present world. So in the fourth instance, and we mentioned it a while ago, the good ground represents the understanding, the receptive heart, which produces an abundant spiritual fruitage. That's an old word, fruitage. I haven't heard that in a while. Have you? <laughs> yeah, me either. There is seven. Okay, yeah, he, he said that too. Our book, I think, just talks about five here, but, but uh, there are actually seven in this one so we'll jump from it we understand the the sower then we're going to jump into the the wheat and the tares uh, in the fruitful field satan sows his tares which you know what does the devil do every day sowing weeds isn't he tearing up jack tearing up stuff as we preach sunday we give him no opportunity we give him no advantage we give him no stinking place amen to get a foothold. Remember that story about the foothold. <laughs> Satan introduces his seeds of false gospels into the world of human activity, producing a counterfeit. This was in 1950s, and here it's even worse in 2022. Oh, yes. Producing a counterfeit Christianity represented by the, quote, children of the wicked one. They're trying to duplicate something that is only God-ordained, amen? The harvest is the end of the world or the age when God divinely intervenes through his chosen agents, the angels, to gather the real grain, go and get my bride, right, into his garner and to bundle up the tares for what's going to happen to them? Destruction. And then the mustard seed. Again, Terry's book, uh, what is the name of that book? Uh, Living in the Laodicean age, I was. He has another one about uh, the leaven of liberalism, and I was getting that one running in my, in my mind too. Uh, so the mustard seed again, uh, it's in Matthew thirteen thirty one, and thirty two. Contrary to the popular interpretation that it represents the growth of the church, from a small beginning until it finally fills the whole earth and shelters the nations, and its branches is a picture. Here is what it really is: abnormal, and absurd unsubstantial growth the mustard only a herb of the field contrary to its nature becomes a great tree this pictures christendom beginning small but instead of fulfilling its normal life of separation from worldliness becomes a great institution have we seen that 
denomination, abomination, even political in character, the Roman church, who's within whose fold the birds, here we go, unconverted people, and even demon powers find shelter. Does the devil love to get into churches and wreak havoc to even today? Birds in this parable cannot mean something good when in the parable of, of the sower, in the same series of teachings, they represent satanic activity. And we know that. Y'all are, we've studied that before already. Oh, yeah. It rep- And Terry brings that out in that book very, very well. I remember that. And then the parable of the leaven, that's in Matthew uh, 13, 33. If you want to write that in there, I don't know that it's in your book. It represents the introduction of a, by a false church, the woman, of a threefold form of evil doctrine into the true teaching of Christ. The three measures of meal in the symbolism of the Old Testament, meal, or meat offering represents Christ, the bread of life, and his teachings. False doctrine, as we find it in the Christian church today, is quite fully comprehended in what Phariseeism, Sadduceeism, and Herodianism represent. The Pharisees represent mere externalism in religion, which stench in the nostrils of God, hypocrisy, a form of godliness without the power thereof, and then the Sadducees, they were the liberals. Huh. We know about them. The modernists of Christ's day who denied the supernatural. We still see that today. Some things never change. And it was good to be in this meeting tonight, hear them talking about God. First of all, I'm a Christian, you know, blah, blah. I'm thankful. I'm thankful there's some godly men and women that are, you know, running for office and taking our country back, you know. Uh, the Herodians were Jews who were quite willing to come under the yoke of Rome and who had evidently given up completely the messianic hope. They were a worldly political party. They have their modern counterpart in the political activities of Christendom, which would set up the kingdom of God upon earth by reform, legislation, let's legislate him in here, and in education and alliance with the world. I'm telling you. Can this guy be? Doesn't it blow you away? History is a flat circle. It's going round and round and round. But it's truly amazing how timely that some of these things. Yeah. How endless it is. And that just shows you how pertinent the Bible is to our day and time in every generation. Holy men of old, thousands of years ago, wrote these very things that we see playing out here thousands of years later. And yet man just still... Yeah. Man just still thinks he's smarter than God, though, doesn't he? He just still thinks my way is going to be... Yeah. Wow. All right. And then what What time is it? We're getting close to... Okay. Okay, okay, we're good. Okay. So, uh, which one did we do? Number three? Okay, I want to read on page 54 here towards the bottom. I really like this. We sum up, that's where we're starting, the teaching of these four parables in the words of 
Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, thus it is evident that these four parables do not give the picture of an age in which there is to be a greater increase of goodness until the final perfection is attained, but rather one characterized by conflict and one in which it appears as though evil triumphs rather than good. We're living there, aren't we? In the parable of the sower, the work of the king is revealed, namely that of scattering seed to produce kingdom results. The work of the enemy is manifested in his attempt to prevent kingdom results by the injury of the seed. Ooh, that's good. Woo! The injury of the seed through the soil in which it falls. In the parable of the two sowings, the work of the king is manifest and also the spoiling work of the enemy who sows the same field with darnel. That's a, a weedy grass. In the parable of the mustard seed, which contrary to all law produces a great tree, we have a revelation of a unnatural growth, an abortion. Whoa, here we are again, reading the something never intended and therefore lacking the true elements of strength. In the leaven, we have the basically corruption, right? So all of these, just Matthew 13, and there's two more actually, all seven of them, are so prophetic, and Jesus, he knew it, right? He, uh, he, he knew what was coming. <laughs> yeah, and the last one that he talks about is the dragnet. We'll finish it up. He, yeah, he do get number five in. Uh, I, don't, well, I don't know what the two are that he left out. I'm trying to remember, but anyway. Okay, this is in Matthew 13, 47. So, it, yeah, it's probably between those. Pearl. The what? The costly, pearl and the, the costly pearl and the hidden treasure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The parable of the dragnet vividly pictures the separation of the good from the evil during the end of time or of the world, likely during the tribulation period. It is the gathering out of the kingdom of all things that offend the parable seems to find its scriptural counterpart in the description of the harvest and the vintage in Revelation 14.14. 14. So, even the dragnet, right, points to that day of the, of the tribulation. It's close, isn't it? It is so close. I mean, you would have to be... The fields are ripe for the harvest. Yes, amen. Wow, wow. The evil time, the evil end time of the world. It's coming upon us. Okay, we're going to get to the church just a little bit of it, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a wrap here. Any questions or comments on Matthew 13? I know we, like I said, hit five out of the seven. Anybody? You were you okay? You got a headache, I bet, don't you? No. I gotcha. I gotcha. We're we're gonna have prayer for you here in just a second all right the church since the church occupies such an eminent place in the plan and purpose of god both in relation to this present age and to the age just ahead the millennium a study and dispensation would not be complete without reference to this assembly of free citizens say that's me that's me is the church important have we gone through testings? 
have we gone through stuff, all kinds of stuff the devil has attacked, attacked with every, you know, COVID for two years and just just on and on. Just uh, you, you can look back and see his handiwork, the lovers of pleasure and all of this going on. But we are still, there's a remnant, amen? And, and I believe it's going to grow and, and flourish here in the end time. It's likened to a house. He's going to talk about five, I believe it's five different things. Uh, a house, it's a, a temple, a body, a mystery, and a bride. So we're going to uh, start here on number, on number one. It's likened to a house. 1 Timothy 3.15. In this passage, we see the family aspect of the church. Like one great household over which God presides and in the circle of which we are to conduct ourselves praiseworthily. The church is compared, number two, to a temple there in Genesis and again in Ephesians for God's indwelling where he may manifest himself and where his glory can be displayed. God dwells in the heart of the individual believer, but collectively his church is the place of his abode. Do you still love the church? Hallelujah. Me too. I, you know, I, I look back over my life, you know, as a young man, 17 years old, I found Christ, you know, in a real, real way. And it wasn't long, just a few months. He, he called me, you know, into ministry. So I love, uh, you know, church has been such an important part, you know, of my, of my life. I, I, I love the church. Has there been disillusionment? Have there been times when I've wanted to quit and give up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I keep remembering that he says, I will build my church. You know, and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. There's going to be some shaking. There's going to be some temptations. There's going to be all kinds of stuff going on, even within the collective body of the church. But, uh, again, it's full. it's filled with people he the holy spirit is here but there's still people involved so just challenge you as ministers you know don't don't get your eyes on men you know they they uh they should be uh walking in the 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 true church is a good picture to to uh, to mentor you but again there there are so many uh, compounds within the church with people being involved in the middle of it that you're going to be hurt you're going to be hurt. There's going to be people that are going to say things or do things that, that <laughs> you know, you're just like, where in the heck did that come from, you know? Je- Jeff. Oh, thank you, Jeff. It's my my pleasure and honor, and again, just trying to lay up a. Thank you. You're too kind. Thank you, sir. It's also compared to a body, and I like that part of it. That's the part I love. I love seeing all of your talents your giftings in operation, you know, just in my, again, in my midlife, 
<laughs> I'm not going to say old, okay? I, I love watching. He's getting younger all the time. I love watching you, you all and your giftings. And is that not a picture of the body of Christ, you know? People doing uh, what God's called them to do, using their giftings. Hallelujah. And he talks about it, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, 18. Uh, and I want to say this tonight. We do. We have a responsibility one to another, don't we? Yes. If I'm hurting, or if you're hurting, I mean, I'm hurting, right? If you're feeling good, I'm feeling good. I'm rejoicing with you. So it's, it's that, is a good word connection, a link, a bond. We are linked, linked and connected together, the true church of Jesus Christ. We need the church. When everybody else is saying, oh, I can just watch from home and get, you know, my little nod to God and, and stuff. No, the time is coming when you're going to wish to God you were involved in the church. It's there to support you and and uh, shelter you and comfort you and strengthen, strengthen you. So... Um, I think we're going to stop there. Lisa, you need prayer. I can tell you you are not feeling well. Okay, let's 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 just stop right here on on number three, and uh, let's uh, if somebody can go stop this. You got it, Colin. You have to hit publish, right? I believe. Okay. They know how to do it. You better watch it.